So finding our posture for this time, we'll have about a half hour meditation together. And so taking our seat, finding our posture. Just taking some time to bring the awareness into the body. And to adjust the posture in whatever way is needed so that the body can feel supported and stable. upright and relaxed, open and alive. And letting the body be a support to us as we gather our awareness. Seeing if it's helpful to use the contact areas of the body with the seat, the body with the ground, as a way of rooting grounding, gathering, awareness. You can take a little bit of time with this. Feeling that contact. Feeling the body resting into the seat and the ground. The support rising up through the body. And then from that contact, from that immediacy of the sensations of contact, body and seat, body and floor, you can gently open awareness and take in the whole body. You can do this gradually or more immediately, whatever feels right, opening the awareness from the contact areas. And feeling the whole body 
and awareness is spread, expanded through the whole body. Getting a sense of the whole body like a field of awareness. Rooted in the contact with seat and ground and then opening out with the whole body. As we do this, as we gently deepen into our practice, tuning into an attitude of kindness as we do this, attitude of kindness as we practice, as we explore different ways of bringing attention to experience. So this attitude of kindness in the way we're expanding awareness through the body, in the way we're attending. And within this wide body awareness, we can also if you wish, you also include the flow and movement of the breathing. We're finding that balance, stability and steadiness of the body, the fluidity and the movement of the breath. And it may be that one of those is enough for you. If that's the case, that's absolutely fine. Staying primarily with the breath or staying primarily in the body. Or combining the two. Noticing what feels most helpful at this time. So with this clarity of object of practice right now, the breath, the body, or a combination, and that attitude of kindness woven in, going to meet experience with our kindness and with interest. Just checking in, how is the body right now? general sense of the body. What are the energy levels? What's the texture? And how is the mind right now? Just gently checking, keeping awareness wide, either through the body or with the breath. 
And is it possible to respond in a wholesome way through the breath or body awareness to whatever is present right now in body and mind? That's our question today, our exploration. So it might be that we're finding some ease or well-being in experience right now in the body or mind or both. Our exploration could be, can I tune in, can I breathe or tune into body awareness and awareness in ways that nourish and support that well-being. How could I breathe or how could I tune into the body in ways that support that well-being? Dropping in the question, exploring possibilities as they arise. So if the well-being or ease is in a particular part of the body, maybe we can breathe around it or through it in some way. Maybe letting the awareness still be wide in the whole body. You can have a sense of that particular area of well-being being more central in awareness. There's just a general sense of well-being in the whole body, in the heart and mind. Exploring, how can I breathe in a way that really nourishes that and supports that? How can I Tune into the space of the body in ways that nourish and support that general sense of well-being. Maybe being more receptive towards it, receiving it. How does that unfold? A little bit of playfulness, of experimentation here. in your own way and time, taking it slow, no rush. Just the opposite, really taking time. in the event that what you're experiencing isn't necessarily well-being. If if it is, just stay with that. Ignore this next part that I'm going to say. 
And if it's, you know, at some point in the practice, maybe right now, there's unease in the body or mind, maybe restlessness or agitation or discomfort. Can I breathe or tune into body awareness in ways that soothe and calm and open? In ways that don't feed further agitation? So maybe giving more attention to the out-breath if we need more calming and soothing. We're emphasizing spaciousness with breath or body, opening out the space. A light touch of attention, awareness, sensitive, gentle, and responsive. Just have some silence now in the practice and exploring for yourself what is present as much as possible in the body. How can I attend to it in ways that nourish well-being? How can I attend to it in ways that respond? what is perhaps not comfortable or easeful right now. Really taking your time, staying with something, not going too quickly from one thing to the other. Staying. Exploring the possibilities of response.
So right now, what is present in your experience? Whatever it is, recognize, acknowledge with a light touch of attention. Might be something we would usually label distraction. Whatever it is, can we respond with sensitivity and curiosity? What can support letting go of what is present and less helpful right now? What can nourish whatever is present right now that is wholesome and there will always be something? What can nourish that? How can we use the breath, the body, awareness itself to support us in letting go and decreasing and loosening that which is unhelpful and in nourishing and supporting that which is wholesome. So for example, if you're finding some degree of dullness right now or tiredness or numbness in experience, letting go of the struggle or the sense that this is bad, I need to get rid of it. Seeing instead if it's possible to brighten and energize the body and the mind through feeling into the uprightness of the body, through feeling the spaciousness as we expand and open awareness in the body, through letting the breath fill up the whole space of the body with energy or even light, or through filling the whole body with energy from the, bod from the bottom of the feet up towards the head. So playing, experimenting, what are the possibilities? right here with this light touch of awareness, interest and kindness.
And once more, noticing what is present right now in experience. Recognizing and acknowledging. How can I attend? in ways that support letting go of what is not wholesome or helpful and that nourish the wholesome. So taking your time as you transition uh, from one form to another. I'd just like to take this opportunity to, uh, to say a few words about dana practice, the middle and the heart of our session where hopefully there's the maximum number of us here. Um, 
So I, I, I just want to say there's so much that can be said, um, but just a few things. Uh, one is just to name the power of this practice, this practice of dana, of um, offering, of sharing, of participating. There's a lot of power. And if you haven't felt it yet, then bring your presence, bring your attention, bring your awareness to the practice as you engage in it. Yeah. It's one of the places where we really disconnect when, when there's a, any kind of uh, financial aspect. These are times when we disconnect. It might already be happening now in the listening. Just pay, pay attention and see. Yeah. And so really, really just kind of see if we can stay present and notice the power of the practice. It's powerful because it brings us into the moment. It supports us to connect to each other. Um, it really stretches our perceived limits of, you know, where I end and somebody else begins. Yeah, what's mine? What's somebody else's? You know, where's that, where's that limit? And it also tunes us in to what is really nourishing. Yeah. Really nourishing. I, I want to just share a story that someone told me once um, in relation to this. And, um, so here it is. This, um, this was in a, at the end of a retreat where the dana talk wasn't given by the teacher but actually by the participants. This happens sometimes, you know, like what is, you know, what has your experience been about the value? of this practice and, and this you know, relatively young person told this story um, and they said um, that they, they were walking in their, the town where they lived one morning and um, you know, or maybe it wasn't morning, anyway it was time for a sandwich. <laughs> so they went into a shop and they bought a sandwich and they walked out of the shop with their sandwich and just a few steps outside of the shop they they encountered um, someone homeless and begging and the immediate response really strong was to give the sandwich to that other person that was the immediate response and then you know we walking so the movement and the momentum of the mind not acting on that immediate response and taking a few more steps and kind of being past that person but still reflecting you know reflecting on that and the realization came yeah, to, this, to this person. They realized, um, I've never regretted giving, but I've often regretted not giving. Yeah. And this is one of those situations. So they walked back to the shop and they bought another sandwich. And they went back and gave one sandwich to this person that was uh, begging and, 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 and kept their own, which they'd probably already started eating. But that sense of that realization, you know, I've never regretted when I've given something like that, but I've often regretted when I haven't. You know, that's, that's the power of this practice when we reflect on it. And, you know, I have to say, I've adopted that practice um, and it's, it's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. To, so whenever I'm somewhere like a train station or I'm moving from one place to the other and it's time for me to buy something for myself, I, I usually will also buy something for somebody else. And that often 
means that then we have actually a conversation which is even more precious um, than, than that uh, material um, exchange. So remembering that, you know, that sense of staying open to the process and the practice of dana, and in our context, really remembering, you know, it's all of us that are creating this. Yeah. Gaia House doesn't have some, um, you know, very, very wealthy benefactors. You know, it's all of us that are keeping this going. And similarly, uh, neither do I <laughs> yet. <laughs> so we're all together. Yeah, all together, keeping um, these offerings going and supporting the Dharma, to um, uh, supporting this home to, to keep flourishing, to keep growing, to keep evolving. Yeah. I wanted to take some time today with the Dana practice. It is so, so valuable and precious. So I want to I wanna talk um, this morning about um, wise effort, or right effort as it's sometimes translated. And the first thing I want to invite is for you just to check when I bring in this word effort, what happens in you, yeah, what comes up. Really interesting, <laughs> yeah, thanks Sammy. If you can't see her, she did this. Yeah, it's like, ooh, don't want to hear about that. <laughs> don't want to think about that. <laughs> yeah. And it's really, again, worth pausing and acknowledging. Yeah. Maybe there's a sense of um, struggling well. Yeah. There might be a sense of disinterest or of weight and tension that comes with that. Um, for some of us, actually, there may be enthusiasm. Yeah, we may have found that this is actually quite an interesting theme. So I don't want to just contraction. Yeah, here, here we go, the whole spectrum. And it's really interesting, excitement. Yeah, for some of us, there's excitement. It's great to see the range. Yeah, great to see the range. And the Buddha emphasized effort. You know, he even used more extreme words like striving. <laughs> A real no-no in, in our Western psychology. Um, he really emphasized it, uh, effort, perseverance. Um, I'd like to touch a little bit today on this and kind of explore together why, you know, and um, kind of how is effort important for our practice and how can it be something that's supportive um, on our path. And so the first thing I want to do is actually look at some dictionary definitions of effort. Yeah, just kind of not Dharma definitions, but normal dictionaries, you know. Cambridge Dictionary, Webster Dictionary, those kind of normal dictionaries. Um, and what do they say? So there's quite a lot of different definitions. I've just chosen a few of them. And here they are. Here they are. The physical or mental activity needed to achieve something. The physical or mental activity needed to achieve something. So just really listen to this with an open mind. How bad does that sound? <laughs> yeah physical or mental activity needed to achieve something or an earnest attempt yeah a genuine attempt yeah trying to do something yeah. and here's a third one the investment of resources to achieve a purpose yeah. the investment of resources to achieve a purpose 
So, seriously, how scary is that? <laughs> I, you know, when, when we when we kind of listen to these definitions, when we hear them, like and and compare to kind of what many of us, not all of us, as we saw, many of us experience when we think about effort, you know, or hear effort in the context of spirituality. Like, how you know how scary is that? How problematic? Sounds to me certainly pretty pretty reasonable. So one interesting thing in the world of practice, yeah, this is bringing it into to our practice directly, is that we often tend to fall into extremes, yeah, in general, but particularly in this area of effort, both uh, actually in how we how we bring effort into the practice, but also in our ideas about it, yeah, and these two are not always the same. Yeah. So in our ideas about effort. Um, you know, we might think, as we saw, oh, you know, this is like, I don't want to go there. This isn't helpful, yeah? It's not helpful to the practice. It's like too much, you know, this word striving. It's like tightening up our shoulders and trying really hard, yeah? putting a lot of pressure. And we also do that in practice. Yeah? We might tend to see that we bring um, too much, yeah? Too much uh, strain and stress to our experience. Yeah. Like a kind of mountain of striving that we're carrying in. Yeah. And the other side would be, sorry. And the other end of the spectrum. Um, yeah. So maybe I'll just ask at this point if we can let the chat just go silent again because the, the, the messages are, are very beautiful and profound, but they tend to kind of distract me. I always kind of say, at this point, <laughs> this starts happening. Just imagine that we were actually, you know, that you could, you could actually, we were in the hall together, and you would constantly be calling out things to me. That's what it feels like with the chat messages. So it just, it's just a little bit distracting. There'll be time for comments and questions at the end. So we either bring too much effort or too little, yeah? And so we may have this idea that, you know, any efforting is too much doing and we should just kind of sit back and let things happen, let things unfold. Um, and that, you know, that means that then practice is unfolding naturally and organically. Yeah, that, that idea, you know, is, is quite common amongst practitioners. And so we then uh, kind of tend to put too little effort into our practice. Um, and that's often when we go to sleep yeah. or um, the practice kind of becomes really fueled by inertia you know just oh this is just what I do I just sit here and then you know whatever happens will happen so we can say another way of putting it is that um, often we fall into these you know extremes of the spectrum which means that then things are either too tense or they're too loose yeah they're either too tense um, or they're too loose. And the Buddha really emphasized the middle way. Yeah. Really emphasized the middle way for us. Yeah, so this is really helpful to remember here. And there's a beautiful image for um, effort in practice, which is, you know, just imagine that you held a rose petal in the palm of your hand. Yeah. You held a rose petal in the palm of your hand. Too much effort and you crush it, yeah? Too little, too little effort and your hand will drop and the rose petal will, will fall off. Yeah. So 
that sense of, ah, there's a middle way. Yeah, there's a middle way here. There's a, a point of balance. And another uh, image that the Buddha used was uh, like tuning a s- the strings of an instrument. Yeah, of a string instrument. Too tense and they break. Too loose, um, no way of, of making music. So finding the middle way. And this really points to the fact that I think two things are important here. One, this is a process, it's dynamic. Yeah, it's not like, oh, it's not like we figure out how much effort and then that's what we do all the time. It's not fixed, it's dynamic, it depends on the conditions. Um, it's dynamic and it's a process dynamic and it's a process and it's much more about attending to our experience being in relationship with our experience it's not separate from our experience so the Tibetan master Milarepa um, he had had my favorite saying about effort ever he said to his um, students um, on the path hasten slowly yeah go fast slowly <laughs> so again that middle way it's not so simplistic yeah. you can feel the poetry in that yeah. and what does that mean that kind of that love of the practice yeah that we may have and bringing that in that love that dedication, that aliveness, and then being willing to try, yeah, being willing to try and to respond. So, you know, practice, like anything, is dynamic, and the way we attend to it also has to be dynamic and alive. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for a responsiveness that listens to what is present, and it tunes to what is needed and what is possible. What's needed right now for this body, heart and mind? And then what's possible? So in the teachings um, in Pali, there's two words that often get translated as effort. I'm just going to say them because I think it's helpful to to distinguish between them. Um, The first one is Vayama. Um, which is the effort of the Eightfold Path. Yes, when we say wise effort, we're referring to that. And that's always, I think, always translated as effort. I don't know other translations of it. The second is uh, virya, uh, which is sometimes translated as effort, um, but often, because of this confusion, uh, most commonly translated as energy, sometimes as enthusiasm or zeal, uh, sometimes as Um, exertion Um, and it's very very significant virya is really significant in how we apply our intention we have an intention and then how do we apply it it's like that life energy yeah that juice that fuel yeah that's needed to apply so today I want to focus on the first one, on uh, Vayama, in Samavayama, the right wise effort from the Eightfold Path and I'm hoping to return to virya in future sessions, because that really they're both really interesting, but Furias, yeah, very interesting. So here's the suttas about what right effort is. And remember, open mind if you don't like the word effort in particular, but even if you like it. 
So according to the Buddha, what is right effort? So here it is. The practitioner is sitting, practicing. Here the practitioner arouses their will, puts forth effort, generates energy, exerts their mind, and strives to prevent the arising of unwholesome mental states that have not yet arisen. Here the practitioner arouses their will, puts forth effort, generates energy, exerts their mind to prevent, uh, sorry, to eliminate unwholesome mental states that have already arisen. Here the practitioner arouses their will, puts forth effort, generates energy, exerts their mind to generate wholesome mental states that have not yet arisen. And here the practitioner arouses their will, puts forth effort, generates energy, exerts their mind to maintain wholesome mental states that have already arisen, to keep them free of delusion, to develop, increase, cultivate and perfect them. This is called right effort. So what happens when you hear, hear this? You know, just noticing for yourself right now. What happens when you hear this and what comes up? Yeah, and how do we see this in our practice? So this, first of all, this discernment, yeah, the acknowledgement. Yeah, what is present? Is what is present right now in the mind? Yeah, is it unwholesome or wholesome? Yeah, that division. Uh, another way of saying it, does it lead to suffering for myself or others? Or does it lead away from suffering for myself or others? This is, this is a distinction the Buddha kept making. Really important. Yeah. Wholesome and unwholesome. Leading to suffering or away from suffering for myself and for others. Yeah, so that discernment. And then, according to what we find, yeah, how do I nourish and um, support that which is wholesome to continue and grow? How do I stop feeding that which is not wholesome? So that I can let go of it, so that it can be let go of. And how do I create the conditions? And this is kind of where the agricultural language of the Buddha is really, really useful and beautiful. How do I create the conditions uh, where uh, the seeds of the wholesome yeah. have the conditions to sprout and to grow and to flourish? And the seeds of the unwholesome do not have the conditions to sprout and to take root. Yeah. This is this, and, and isn't it interesting that this is the effort that we're meant to be making? Yeah. So it's not about an effort that's kind of, you know, holding on to the breath for dear life. Yeah, that's not what we're doing. Yeah. It's about that discernment. What is present? How am I attending to experience? Um, what is going on in the mind and the heart in relationship to the body most of the time? Because yeah, that's the primary way we practice. And how can I attend to this experience, respond to this experience yeah. in ways that nourish the wholesome and support letting go of the unwholesome? Yeah. So if we take the practice that we just did earlier, um, 
you know, for example, dullness in the body or the mind, so common for all of us. Yeah. Dullness in the body of the mind. Just that recognizing of it. Yeah. So we recognize. And it's not about, this is where it really is important, it's not about dullness bad. Yeah? I need to struggle with it until it disappears. It's about recognizing dullness is here, and that has an impact. And so then, when I recognize it, how do I attend to it? How do I respond to it? So if we look at those dictionary definitions, how do I arouse? How do I bring forth the physical and mental activity needed to attend to dullness skillfully? Yeah? How do I do that? Yeah. How do I kind of remember to make an earnest attempt, yeah, to give it a try? That's what matters. That's what we're cultivating, my capacity to attend to our experience. Yeah. So if we're using dullness as an example, the first thing we want to do is to let go of the struggle. Yeah. Because often what there is there, and, and dullness, tiredness, that's, you know, that's a great one. One of, uh, one of um, my teacher friends uh, calls it, you know, saying yes to life all the time. You know, those sittings when your head's constantly going like that and you're just saying yes, but you don't, you're actually internally saying no because it's extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. So letting go of the struggle and the sense that this is bad or a problem, you know, that's the first thing we need to do. Because yeah. that is not wholesome, it's not helpful. There's the discernment, okay, this is, you know, a state of body and mind that is not conducive to clarity, but how do I attend to it? Not through struggle, but more through brightening and energizing the wholesome. How do I brighten and energize? You know, maybe I just ask that question. This is the way I do it. It's 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 not one of the usual ways that are taught. But I once did a whole um, month at Gaia House where I was so interested in, in this practice of arousing energy that I went to sit after every meal directly. That's the worst time to sit if you don't know. Your body's digesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so all it wants to do is to shut down. And so after every meal, I went into the hall and I sat down. Yeah. And I was really interested to say, okay, how do I arouse energy when the body really wants to shut down? Yeah, and the mind really wants to shut down. And then just with that question, what brings energy? So you see this interest and inquisitiveness, curiosity, that's, that's wholesome. And that arouses energy. So how do we arouse energy right now? Yeah, so it's our intention and engagement that matters as we train the mind towards the wholesome. It's not judging, it's not pushing away, it's not struggling. It's just, okay, how do I bring energy right now? And so there's the, you know, there's the classic ways that maybe some of you have heard, if we're just using this example of dullness, of you know, breathing in from the bottom of the feet up into the head, or opening the space, or imagining white light. That was the Buddha's favorite. Imagining white light coming in in the center of your forehead. Yeah. So we play, we respond our experience and what matters is our intention and engagement as we train the mind towards the wholesome 
And the same process of recognition and responsiveness uh, is equally valuable to us outside of formal practice. So remembering, you know, all of this, <laughs> we do it in practice, but it doesn't stay on the cushion. Yeah? We can bring it in to our lives. So here's an example from my life, you know, just from a few days ago. So got up in the morning um, and, you know, just kind of did what I needed to do to be pretty much awake. And I was teaching a retreat, as I said. Um, and I knew that time I had maybe a couple of hours in the morning. Um, and that was the time I had to prepare, on the talk, to prepare the talk that I was giving that afternoon. Uh, the rest of the day was full. Yeah, of uh, interviews and groups and being in the hall. Um, this was my time. I had two hours. And sometimes I need two hours to prepare a talk, just to, just to say. So, um, so I got up and I was kind of ready. That was on my mind. That was what I was planning to do. And then my partner uh, said to me, oh, you know, I need to get this article to, to Guy House for the, for the next e-news. I need to get it in today. Do you think you could just have a look at it and, and kind of say if it's okay? And I was like, no. You know, like my immediate thing was like, no. You know, like, I've got my stuff I need to do, you know. Can't you take care of your own? You know, that's going internally that was going on. Externally, I just said no. You know, I haven't got time. And this is really interesting. Yeah, this is really interesting because luckily for me, just like the story I told about the Dana earlier, that wasn't the end of the story. So even though I'd already said no and I was even walking out, you know, walking into my study already, I think, to go and start working on the talk, I could pause, yeah? I could pause that, you know, see I'm on some momentum here and I can pause I can stop a minute and I can notice what's going on. So what's going on? There's a lot of, of contraction and narrowness around my stuff. Yeah, I need to write this talk yeah, for today. Yeah, and that's really what I'm seeing. Yeah, that's really what I'm seeing. And I'm losing contact with anything else. So what happens after I pause? I take a minute. I open. I work with the body. Open the contraction. Open the space. Yeah. And I, as I'm doing that, I'm no longer feeding that unwholesome pattern of the narrow view. And can you see, it gets confusing because it's about a, a, a wholesome thing, right? It's about a Dharma talk. That's really wholesome. That's really important. Yeah. So, yeah. But it, that contraction, that narrowness, that strong sense of self, that's not wholesome. Yeah? And I can feel it. Yeah? I can feel it when I, when I pay attention. So I'm stopping feeding the unwholesome as I'm pausing, right? That's what's going on, yeah. And this supports just that pausing. Right? That supports the unarisen, what, what wasn't there, what was there, or what was there really quietly and was wholesome to make an appearance. Yeah? Yeah. So it's like when you're listening to a very intricate piece of music and there's something in the background, yeah, but there's a solo instrument that's really loud and then that kind of suddenly you tune in to that other thing because there's a pause or a gap. So interest, kindness yeah, appear. A bigger view appears, you know, a bigger view. Yeah? Both of the relationship. You know, no, it's not, I'm not the only one that matters. <laughs> yeah. 
and my stuff, even if it's a Dharma talk, yeah? Isn't the only thing that matters? And in this case, you know, what's more important? Guy House E-News or a Dharma talk I'm going to give today? You know, not even going there. That's not helpful. But just opening to the bigger view. Yeah? Opening to a bigger view. And so that capacity to stop yeah, and to listen and to notice when we get contracted, yeah, and that's the un- recognizing the unwholesome and then not feeding it, that allows then the wholesome to come forth. And then it's not a big effort <laughs> to make the shift. It's actually already happened. Yeah. It's already happened. Yeah. So we can say in this case, yeah, the effort is in the discernment and the listening. Yeah. And the ongoing momentum of our practice. Yeah. Every time we do this, yeah, it gets stronger. Yeah. That capacity to hear and to notice. And to, and to change, you know, because one of the most difficult things for us as human beings is if we're on course for something, it's difficult for us to pause, it's difficult for us to, to change. Yeah, so I actually walked, you know, turned around, <laughs> walked back into the other room and said, sure, I'll read it. Yeah, because of course I realized it was only going to take me five minutes, yeah. which it did. And the article was great, which I knew it would be. Yeah, it was like, what's the big deal? So really small, you know, it's a small example, it's a petty example, maybe. Um, but again, it's our intention and engagement. Yeah, the intention to see what is going on, the intention to discern between the wholesome and the um, unwholesome. The intention to align our lives again and again with what is wholesome. Yeah, with what decreases suffering for ourselves and others. Yeah, that intention, that's what matters. We train the mind towards the wholesome. And so we do that again and again, yeah? and we nourish conditions that support the wholesome to grow yeah? and don't support the unwholesome to grow. We're cultivating the sensitivity and ability to recognize the unwholesome when it arises and to respond in ways that weaken it. Yeah? And we do it you know, every time we attend to a restless mind, a painful body. Yeah? Every time we do it. We're, we're doing this, cultivating sensitivity and ability to recognize the unwholesome when it arises and to respond in ways that weaken it. And to recognize the wholesome when it arises and to respond in ways that support its further development and growth. The Buddha didn't mince his words, so he wasn't afraid to say, to perfect it. That's another one, <laughs> like effort. Perfect, yeah to perfect the wholesome. And this has huge significance for us, for each of us as individuals, yeah. huge significance. Um, and also, um, it has huge significance for our societies and our world, yeah, huge significance. It doesn't stop just in here. Um, and we can and we should let it um, expand yeah, to how we relate to others, to how we relate to the earth. Um, to the choices, to the actions, and to the words um, that make up our lives and that make up the world that the world that we share. So I just want to end with a little um, story from from yesterday. Um, so here in in Israel, um, the last weeks, months, maybe already, um, Saturday evening is protest time, um, and there's lots of protests going on, um, but particularly the last weeks, maybe a couple of months, um, protests that are um, 
kind of a cry to, um, how should I put it, to align again with um, ethics in our leadership. Yeah, so against corruption and um, undemocratic legislation that's been happening um, in this country actually for a long time, but in the last few months very extremely. And so because of COVID, the big demonstrations are happening outside, the big protests are happening outside the Prime Minister's um, homes. He's got two. Um, but uh, the... Um, because of COVID, many people cannot go there because it's difficult to social distance. People are wearing masks, but it's a small area, residential streets. It's difficult to social distance. So this new thing has happened where people have started demonstrating on bridges and junctions. And it's really caught on. It's absolutely beautiful. So here in Tel Aviv, there's the main kind of highway going through Tel Aviv and there's bridges, 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 and every bridge has got people protesting, say, you know, 100 people or something standing along there. So yesterday, this is all a, um, a long introduction to say, so we're, we're at one of these protests um, on the bridge, um, waving flags, and um, you can see the cars below you really well, and they can see us. And so um, most of the cars that are responding to the protest, because this is Tel Aviv, mostly they're honking in support. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the beautiful things about this protest is that it takes it out everywhere. Yeah. So people everywhere in the country can see and they can also participate. Yeah. Because if they're passing it, they honk and they participate and they wave. Um, and the protest's very happy. Yeah. There's music, there's very beautiful signs, there's like a very, very good atmosphere. Occasionally, a car passes by and uh, they don't agree. Yeah, they don't agree <laughs> with what the protest is doing. And so uh, they can't honk because then, you know, it would seem that they're agreeing. So they usually choose to do a hand gesture, which is not very polite um, in response. The interesting thing for me, and this is kind of where we're talking about wholesome and alcohol, when someone does that, hand gesture to me or to somebody else, I tend to shut down. My response is not very friendly, um, typically. Yeah. But in that protest, and you could feel it you know, along the whole bridge with people standing there socially distancing, um, that the sense was, we've got enough love for you two. So you know, we were waving at all the cars, the ones that were waving at us and honking at us, and the ones that were putting out their hands and making a different kind of hand gesture as well. And there was no discernment. There was no um, kind of, you're my friend and you're not. But actually, that embodiment of practice yeah, towards all, understanding, yeah, and understanding, we actually were talking about it also, that if someone does that, where does that come from? Yeah, where does that come from? So there's a way in which when we bring the practice, this practice of cultivating the wholesome and letting go of the unwholesome deeply into ourselves and our own experience, we can actually bring it out into the world to also see it in another, yeah. to also see it in, in another and see this is causing suffering, yeah? not just to me as the recipient. It's not coming from a place of happiness in any human being to act with aggression not coming from a place. So can I actually wholeheartedly, not from a place that's putting myself above, yeah, wholeheartedly feel friendship towards that person? 
yeah, feel compassion towards that person and really joyfully um, wave at them, whatever, whatever it is that they're doing in that moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.